Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Cornelius Van Til was a theologian in the mid-20th century. And he said that everything that the scriptures speak about, they are authoritative. And the scriptures speak about everything. And so indirectly or directly, the scriptures touch everything in this world. You know, Christians are truth tellers. Michael Foster says that. Christians are truth tellers, and and that's who we are. We love the truth, we care about the truth, and we tell the truth. And it's interesting, this is for everybody to look up if you get a chance, but the CDC just came out, and all that we've been dealing with in the last year and a half, the scriptures have something to say about how we approach the public square and the CDC came out by their own admission, this was on the 21st of July, and they declared that the testing that they've been doing for COVID over the last year and a half, over the last year and a half, has no way of differentiating between COVID and regular influenza viruses. So every influenza virus that somebody had and walked into a testing center with came back positive for COVID. This is right from the CDC, and it's a bombshell, bombshell report that probably will be censored and not be there in a few days. Um, but Christians are truth tellers, and that's really important for us to know as we face decisions, medical decisions. You do that personally for your family when you think through the ethics of vaccine, uh, vaccines for COVID and certain questions like that. Be as informed as you can as possible by the people who are pushing it based on their own data that they're putting out there. They've told us that, you know, everybody heard what flu disappeared over the last year. Well, now we know why flu disappeared because it was all labeled COVID. And uh, Christians should care about that. We should care about the truth. And so think about how the scriptures apply in all of life as you think through truth and error, as you're receiving information and trying to make and analyze information and make the best decisions you can for your family. Christians care about the truth. And so it's pretty alarming and frustrating. It should be locked up, to be honest. But anyways, we're here to hear from God this morning. I want to do something I told you about last week from 1 Timothy chapter 2. The world is hurting for good men. And fortunately, by the grace of God, we have a lot of good men here. A lot of good men here. And there's a passage in 1 Timothy 2 that I said last week that I'd looked over and never seen before. And a handful of you guys had. And I love this, and I've been thinking about this, God has determined that men, as we lift up holy hands, will be worshiping and demonstrating their worship in a manner that's physically observable. And so when we hear God say this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it requires action from us, but it also requires children, it requires wives, it requires visitors, it requires people in the room to see men participate in the gathering with the people of God, visibly. Here's what it says. I desire then at every place men should pray, so there should be prayer, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. So we're going to do that this morning. You may feel uncomfortable, and I don't want you to do this because I'm pressuring you to do it. If you see this in the text and believe that this is what God is telling us to do, then men, we're just going to raise up holy hands. So men in the room, we're going to raise up holy hands, and it's recognizable that men in this room are participating in what God would have us do. And that's a very good thing. We want to obey as men and ladies. We want you to obey the Lord Jesus as women. So what God calls you to do, we want you to do. But today, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I want you to pray either silently or vocally. Pray for your family. Pray for, your, pray for our church family, beyond our, just our personal family. Pray for our church family. And then just pray as God would lead you for the city of Carbondale, for neighbors that don't know, the, no, no, don't know the Lord, for your friends or family that don't know the Lord. So the guys in the room, we're going to pray. And ladies, just thank the Lord as we're praying. Thank the Lord that there are men in this room that want to obey the Lord Jesus. Okay? And the men are thankful that there are women in this room that want to obey the Lord Jesus. We're thankful. And so we're going to do this in obedience with God's word. So as I pray, you can pray to yourself or out loud as well, and then I'll close this out. So Father, we just want to honor you and we want to obey you. We want to lift up holy hands to you. And we want to pray with everybody looking. We want to, 
we want to do this and, and posture ourselves the way you would, po- that we, you would have us be postured. And so we want to use our muscles to raise our hands and we want to pray to you as men who have been saved by God. We, you have saved us, you have redeemed us, and we want to honor and obey you as men. We thank you for our families. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my wife and three children. Jordan is a blessing, and I thank you that you have given her to me as my one flesh to be my wife for the rest of our lives. I thank you so much for Ransom and Valor, for Providence, for all that you're doing in their life. God, I thank you that you have saved Ransom, and I pray that you would save Valor and Providence at an early age. God, I'm so thankful for them. I pray for their future spouses as well. And God, I pray that for Ransom and Valor, they would be prepared as men of God to be ready to marry a woman one day and to be a a worker and a father as well as a husband. And so God, I pray that you would do that with them. I thank you for Providence. Thank you that she gets to be raised by in a home that loves you. And I thank you that Jordan gets to teach her about womanhood. And God, I'm so excited to see her grow up. I pray that she would know you and walk with you all the days of her life as a godly woman. I pray for her future husband as well, that he would be a godly man. Lord, I thank you for the people in this city. Um, God, I thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have in this city. And I ask that you'd move powerfully in this town, in this community today. God, I pray there'd be more faithful churches in this town. I pray there'd be more faithful brothers and sisters in this community. And God, I pray that you would save people in this town that don't know you. There are... Thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people in this town that are not saved. And God, I pray that you would save people. God, I thank you for our church family. I love our church family. I'm so thankful I get to be a part of this church. And God, I ask that you would continue to work in our families, continue to work bringing people in. I pray that people would be saved and discipled and walk faithfully in obedience to you. Thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, we pray for the people in our lives, family members and neighbors, people that we know Uh, that even just we've known our whole life that don't know you. God, I pray that you would use us to be bold and to tell them the truth of their need. And God, we pray that people would be saved. Help us to be gentle and kind, but also just bold in in our desire to see people saved. Lord, move powerfully. We thank you for all that you're doing. Lead Lead us today. We thank you for this opportunity to pray with lifted hands, with holy hands to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That was cool. So now we've all been a part of that, right? Last week, only a few of us have been. It's neat. All right, Galatians chapter 3. If you'll turn there, we're going to be in verse 10 through 14. Galatians chapter 3, 10 to 14. If you're new with us, we've been going through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, section by section, and we're just marching our way through. We're about halfway through with the book. Paul has just introduced the man, the patriarch, Abraham, And he's been connecting the dots with the Old Testament, declaring to us that justification, being right with God, has never been about works of the law, and it's always been about faith. It's always been about faith in God to save sinners, and it's not been about people relying on works of the law to get to God. And the whole argument with the book of Galatians that we're saved by grace through faith, not by grace plus works. We're saved by grace through faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, and not through the work of our hands. Calloused hands is a very good thing, but calloused hands cannot get you to the Lord. We need the hand of God to reach down and save us, and his arm is not too short to save. There are many things in the scriptures, by the way, the sermon title this morning is Cursed or Christ. There's going to be two options here. There's always two options. There's sheep and goats. There's heaven, there's hell. There's Cursing or blessing, and we're looking at that today, the words cursed or Christ, or cursed and blessed. Now, there are many things in the Christian faith that are secondary issues. Many theological categories, as we study the scriptures and we try to categorize what the Bible teaches, there are many systematic systematic theological issues that are, well, hey, there's valor, that are secondary issues. Hey, right over there, buddy. Hey, turn around. Right there. <laughs> That's my son. There are many secondary issues. For instance, eschatology. Eschatology is a very good thing, and it's always a go-to when we talk about secondary theological issues. There are very good reasons for why people are the way they are when they think about the doctrine of the last days. 
the how and why of Christ's return or all the, the ins and outs of when Christ is going to return. Is, he, is, it, is the return of Christ imminent or is it possibly thousands of years? Or when it comes to the future, what about um, Matthew 24? Was that past or is that future? Those are questions that we can agree to disagree on as long as we agree that Christ is returning. You can read the book of Revelation or the prophetic literature in the Old Testament to the New and come to some different conclusions. It's pretty difficult to read apocalyptic literature, to read, to, to read prophetic literature. There's imagery and metaphor, and it can be very difficult at times to read those books. So we're going to come to some different conclusions, and that's going to be okay. Gifts of the Spirit is another issue that's a secondary issue. There are some people in our church that believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit, even the four sign gifts are still in operation today. And there are others that fully believe in the gifts of the Spirit, believe that God's, I mean, they believe in the gifts of the Spirit, they believe that God still heals, but they do not believe that tongues, prophecy, healing, and miracles are gifts that individuals have today. So those are second, secondary theological issues. It should not be sectarian issues, meaning we should be able to mean be members of the same church and hold a different eschatology and differing views on the, on the gifts of the Spirit and yet still be, same, still be members of the same church. How about this? Who wrote Hebrews? Anybody uh, uh, for Paul in the room? Paul? Okay, anybody for Apollos? Anybody believe Apollos in here? Nobody for Apollos? Okay, anybody for, for somebody else? Maybe? <laughs> Barnabas? Based on writing styles, you, you, you don't think it was Paul. Not Paul, okay. And then somebody comes back and said, well, Paul was well-educated in speaking to the Gentiles and the Jews. So he could write with different styles. Come on, C.S. Lewis. You know, he's a broad writer. So couldn't Paul be a broad writer? Oh, come on. You see, you can go back and forth, and you can have differing opinions on that. How about covenant theology and baptism? You're getting a little bit closer to from secondary and tertiary issues into the more central de debates within Christianity. But what we're talking about today is absolutely, and what we've been talking about through the book of Galatians is absolutely primary. It's crucial that we get this right. This is not a, I believe that we can rely on works of the law, and you believe that we have to rely on Christ and Christ alone, and we can all just get along. That's not that kind of thing. We're talking about, if, we, if you think you can rely on works of the law and, and that others can rely on Christ and, and we can all just get along, we're, we're talking about different religions altogether. This is not a secondary issue. This is a primary issue and the Holy, Holy Spirit makes this absolutely crystal clear. It's not up for debate and we do not need to be confused. It's unwavering and it's clear. We are saved by grace through faith, and not by works of the law. And we're going to see that here again today. Let's get a point of clarity about God's law in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of, law, of the law and do them. This is the bullseye central issue with what we're dealing about in the book of Galatians. For all who rely on works of the law are cursed. That's the issue. The law of God is good. But it cannot be relied on to save. Let us not make the mistake to say because the law can't save, it's bad. The law is very good. God's law reveals His holiness. It reveals who He is. The commandments of God are as sweet as honey. David goes on and on in Psalm 19 and 119 about the goodness of the law of God. It's precious. It's a good thing to have guardrails. The commandments of God are a precious thing. But for all who rely on them to save, to justify, will be absolutely and utterly cursed. If you rely on works to save, it cannot save. What this means is every non-Christian in the world is under a curse. Talk about going against the wave of popular opinion in the world and in some Christian circles, so-called Christian circles. Cursed be everyone that does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. What that means is, is everybody in the world that's not in Christ Jesus 
is not just a breaker of one law or two laws, but it's a breaker of the law of God in its totality. Cursed be everyone that does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you've ever broken any of the commandments of God, you are cursed. The law can't save you. The law curses you. This is the primary issue with the world today. The world is under a curse. Every non-Christian in the world, under a curse. Lawbreaker. Lawlessness. Every false Christian, under a curse. There are so many, as we talked about last week, that are Christian by name only, but have never been born again. They've been a part of the church. If you ask them, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. There's never been repentance. There's never been faith. There's never been a recognition of their sin before a holy God. And yet, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. For whatever reason that they say they're a Christian. But everyone who has not been born again, who has not been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're under a curse. A legitimate, real curse. No matter how good of a person you are, if you rely on good works, it will only get you the wrath of God. That's it. Now Paul, he does this four times in these verses. 10, 11, 12, 13 and 14, five verses, four times, Paul is going to reference the Old Testament scriptures to tell us the truth of what he's teaching. This is not old news. This, this, this is not new news. It's very old news. What I'm telling you today, church at Galatia, what I'm telling you today, Christ Church in Carbondale, that this message is there through the whole scriptures. Abraham was justified by grace, not by works of the law. In fact, the law was not yet even given to him. It was 430 years later. ...that the law came, and Abraham was already justified 430 years before the law came. We're going to get into that in future week, in the future weeks. Next week, actually. So we're told in Deuteronomy that is cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed. That's Deuteronomy 27, 26. It says cursed are those who do not do all of the law. That's the problem. A person may do well in one aspect of God's law but fail miserably in another aspect of the law of God. And yet be a lawbreaker. Lawlessness is the problem. Lawbreaking is the problem. And everyone who relies on the work of the law will be and is cursed. And it's evident. It's clear. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So why is it evident that no one will be justified before God by the law. And here's why it's evident. Because Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. This has been the same message all along. He's already talked about Abraham and now he brings in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4 says the righteous shall live by faith. This is a passage that was huge for Martin Luther. The righteous shall live by faith. That's how the righteous live. The righteous in the Old Testament were not relying on works of the law to save them. The righteous in the Old Testament were not relying on works of the law to save them. They lived by faith in the promises of God and the future working of God, the future Messiah. That God would send a rescuer. And all the images, everything that they saw in the Old Testament that pointed them forward, they believed that God himself would save. They live by faith in the future promises. Faith is where justification is located, and it's always where justification has been located. It's never been located through human being doing works of the law. It's always been through faith, by faith. So this is the second passage in the Old Testament that the Apostle Paul references. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. In verse 12, but the law is not a faith. There's a contrast here. The law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. The Old Testament is referenced again. There's a contrast here. Relying on the law puts it all on you. I want you to see this. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. The one who does them. The one who does them is obligated to live by them. It's all on their shoulders. It's a burden that they are trying to bear and they are obligated to bear. And by the way, there's only been one person that's ever bore that burden. 
There's only been one person that actually has brought life through the law. The one who does them shall live by them. And that is Christ and Christ alone. Everybody else who has attempted this journey of living by works and trying and relying on works of the law to save has found on the other end, not life, but death. Because the law kills and drives us to Christ. And then as Christians, the law becomes something different for us. It becomes a guide, not a self-salvation project. Relying on the law puts it all on you. The one who does them shall live by them. And it's an impossible task. And it's an absolute rejection of faith. Relying on works of the law, believing that I am the one... The one who does them shall live by them. I'm the one who's going to live by them. As looking at Christ, the work of Christ, and his life, death, and resurrection, and saying, you know, that's cute, Jesus. That's really cute what you've done. But I'm going to do it myself. It's an absolute rejection of faith in Jesus in favor of human effort. I've got this. I can do this. And we've seen this all the way from the garden forward as we've talked multiple times about Adam and Eve trying to fix themselves, trying to cover themselves. We'll get not loincloths, not through the spilling of blood, but we'll cover ourselves with trees, with limbs, with branches. And then God would come and cover them through blood with the skins of an animal. To look at the law and say, that's how I'm going to live, that's how I'm going to be justified, is to look away from faith in Christ. And this is what was so seducing to the church at Galatia. It made sense to them. It was like, yeah, that sounds right. Because the false teachers are always so compelling. False teachers are so smooth. They take a tweet that would be a good tweet. And they'll say, well, that'll preach. That'll preach, preacher. They take a tweet that sounds good and smooth, that looks really good. And it's preaching by way of phraseology. Like, that's a good thought. I'll preach that thought. Rather than, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God has to say. And it's scattered with Bible verses, and it sounds good, and it sounds right. And the people, ooh and ah, look at the oratory skills of this man. Or sadly, in some cases, this woman. And they're seduced. And the church in Galatia, remember the first three words last week, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? They were seduced by this false teaching that was leading them down the road of looking away from Christ and saying, I'm going to live by the law. That's where life comes from. Not faith in Jesus, through my efforts. Paul's like, yeah, that's where cursings come. You're cursed. It's the height of human arrogance to look at Jesus and to pat him on the back and say, that's cute. And instead, turn away from him and say, I got this. In a day that narcissism is a virtue, that message is still compelling. It's all about you. We love messages like that. We can self... Um, not seduce. We can self. We can self deception is a powerful thing. Deception. That was the word I couldn't find. Self deception is a. It's a very powerful thing. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I don't need God, really. Okay. Well, curses are yours then. And you don't know it right now, but that curses belong to you. The wrath of God is on you. And you may get along well. You may make some money. You may have a decent marriage. But one day you're going to stand before a holy God. And just rejecting God doesn't mean we don't get to create out of our own thoughts. Just rejecting God doesn't mean that God is not a reality. And one day you're going to stand before a holy God. And you're going to have, a, have to give an account for your rejection of him. And it will not go well for you. And yet, there's this seducing nature of it. And the church at Galatia gave a listening ear to it. Said, yeah, that sounds right. And Paul's saying... There's only cursing there, guys. Don't be seduced by this false gospel. There's only one way, and it's not through your own efforts. It's not through taking that burden on your back. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... 
fourth time the Old Testament is referenced. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, my father-in-law was talking to me about this and it was helpful. And so we think about uh, the blessing of Abraham that was introduced last week and that we're going to get to here in a minute. We have to understand substitution. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We have to understand redemption. You know, in, in the Old Testament, um, there was this covenant sign, this thing called circumcision. And yet, in the New Testament, we're told, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And the true Israel are those who had faith, that were circumcised in the Old Testament with a circumcision of the heart, that had faith. And yet today, the issue is, are you redeemed or not? Not, have you been baptized? Or are you a part of the church? Or do you run with Christians? Or do you do some good things? Or do you try to fulfill the law? Do you take personal responsibility? You might answer yes to all of those and still not be redeemed. Those who are in Christ Jesus are not simply those who have an Old Testament sign of circumcision or a New Testament sign of baptism, but those who have been circumcised of heart. Those who have been born again. Not just a member of the visible church, but those who have actually been redeemed by Christ. That is the question. Have you been born again? Are you redeemed? And if you are redeemed, you have this promise that you are redeemed from the curse of the law because Jesus became that curse for you. You are, were a lawbreaker, therefore the curse of God hung upon you. It was over you. Jesus was a law keeper and blessings were his. And as Jesus goes to the cross, he became a curse for you so that curse that was upon you didn't have to come to you and you could be redeemed out of the curse of the law. This is substitution. This is the message of the gospel. Those who have been born again from either the Jewish people or Gentiles, they and they alone are redeemed in Christ Jesus. The curse has been lifted. And friends, the church at Galatia needed to hear this. Guys, Jesus became a curse for you. There's nothing left for you to earn from God. You don't have to rely on works of the law. We never, I just quoted four verses to you, church of Galatia, you never, you're never required to rely on works of the law to be justified. It's always been by faith. Works of the law have always supposed to be out of gratitude. We want to obey. We get to obey. We don't have to obey. We get to why would we not want to obey? Because what God's done for us. And so, after referencing four times the Old Testament, we get to the point that it's not about you bearing the burden. It's about Christ redeeming you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. This is just another way of, like a thousand ways, to talk about the gospel of substitution. That Jesus actually died in our place. He redeems us from that curse. And we're told that he redeems us from that curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that, in verse 14, we get two so that statements. And the first so that statement is in verse 14, the first two words. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The blessing of Abraham. Jesus redeemed you for a reason. We need to define the blessing of Abraham because there's been some confusion over the years and some twisting of the blessing of Abraham turning it into the blessings of Abraham, plural, and acting as if the life that Abraham lived and the blessings and cursings that came upon Israel that we get exactly to a T the exact life that Abraham lived. And the blessings of God are not monolithic like that. In fact, even though we do get physical blessings from God, we see that through the, through the Old Testament and the New. The New Testament, the primary blessings that we're talking about are spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we know, according to the Apostle Paul, that righteousness has promise in this life and for the life to come. 
that holiness brings reward in this life in the sense not that you're being rewarded for your good works, but when we walk in the principles and the commandments of God, then that's how life is supposed to work. You sow that which you reap. If you make foolish decisions, you get bad outcomes. If you make wise decisions and walk in the way that God would have you, things go better for you. It's real easy. And I noticed this. Ryan told me this this week. He said, stop saying duh in your sermon because the last four weeks you said duh. And so this is, uh, if this was one of the previous four weeks, that's when I would have said duh. If you do things the way God tells you to do, it goes better for you than if you do things your way and the way of the devil. Somebody said it for me. So we need to find the blessing of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now let's connect the dots with Galatians again and reference the passage we looked at last week. Look at Galatians 3, 8, and 9. So just look up an inch and a half in your Bible. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The gospel of Jesus is within the content, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So the primary blessing of Abraham is salvation and the benefits that come from salvation. You are no longer condemned. You have promises that your, your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will never forsake you. Jesus was forsaken, therefore you never will be forsaken. You have promises that he is going to be faithful to start what he starts in you, he's going to fa be faithful to complete that in you. You have promises that when you are weak, he is strong. You have promises all throughout the New Testament about prayer and anxiety, promises of provision. This is what it means to be blessed along with Abraham. God, the God of the universe, is your God and you are his child. And that's very, very good news. The blessing of Abraham, therefore, is not first is first, excuse me, about being justified and counted righteous in Jesus Christ by faith. Because I think it's important to say that there are things in Genesis 12, 1 and 2 that are unique to Abraham and they're not true of every Christian. And there are things in Genesis chapter 12, 1 and 2 that are for every Christian. For instance, not every Christian becomes a great nation. So if we say the blessing of Abraham means everything that happened to Abraham is going to be for us, then we would have to say that within each of us is going to be a new Israel, a new nation, a new nation come from us. And we know that is not true. So there are some things in that verse that are not for everybody and some things that are for everybody. And first and foremost, that you are adopted as a child of God, justified by grace through faith, is the foremost blessing. But there has to be something more than that as well because it says so that you have redemption, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham may come to the Gentiles. And here's where we have to just kind of do some, do some work and, and just think through. We can be a little bit creative in the sense, not being creative with maybe it means this or maybe it means this, but, but say, what, what did God do for Abraham? Well, he blessed those who blessed him and cursed those who cursed them. God was for his son. And here's what I tell you. It's unavoid it really is unavoidable when you think about this. Guys, hear this. The favor of God is upon you. And if you go through something difficult, which Abraham did on multiple occasions, here's the promise that you have, those who are blessed along with Abraham that non-Christians don't have. You have promises that God is with you and he's not going to let you go. That he's going to comfort you. That he's going to see out his purposes in you. That he's not going to wash his hands with you. Was he faithful to Abraham to provide miracles and do things that are unexplainable? That he's going to be faithful with you to do miracles and do things that are unexplainable. The favor of God is upon you. When you suffer, we're going to suffer as a Christian. And we have, suffer, we have promises that even through affliction, there's joy available for us. We have promises of provision 
that non-Christians just simply don't have. The blessing of Abraham. You're God's son or daughter, for goodness sake. He loves you. You have promises that your non-Christian family don't have. And I want you to see how special that is. Typically, what we read in the scriptures, when we hear the, the, the words like we and us and the blessing of Abraham, we put that on everybody and say that it's there for everybody, but we're just the ones that have apprehended, apprehended it. And that's not true. That's not true at all. Redemption in Christ, are only, it's only for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're not saved, you can't claim any of the promises that God has given to his people. And yet, if you're a part of his people, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They're there for you. God is faithful and he's for you. And so when we read things like this, we have to understand the privilege it is to be a child of God. That we are a child of God by grace through faith and not through works of the law. It's not because we're better than anybody. It's because God has been gracious to us. And we have the very blessing of Abraham that's upon us. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be blessed as Abraham was blessed with the very favor of God. Uh, I was talking to my friend this week, and I've experienced some of the same things before. Um, have you ever wondered why God has just, he's blessed you and he's given you something, and it feels almost like it's wrong, like it's icky? Like, I, like gosh, this is just so lavish that God would give me this. I, don't, I, don't, I know I don't deserve this, and it's just, it's hard I feel like this means something bad is going to be happening, you know, like to balance out the scales. This is so, this is such a gift that, you know, like, all right, what's coming around the corner? God's buttering me up before something terrible happens. And that's a, a wrong view, by the way. We shouldn't be receiving the gifts from God and, and then turning around and thinking, now when's he going to get me? And yet, that's that karma mentality that can sneak into all of us where we think like, oh man, th th things are so great, it's going to get bad really quick. Let me just ask, so you, so you can look at each other and not think you're crazy. Has anybody ever felt like that before? Okay, where you, you feel guilty for the gifts that God has given. We live in a, if you don't know, like we, we, God has blessed us, and I use the word blessing, okay? And I mean that, because he didn't have to. We, we got to build a house, like in a house that preachers of a church this size don't get to build. You know what I mean? And God is, before we got married, God... Like, I despise and loathe prosperity theology. Loathe it. If I was a prosperity preacher, you wouldn't let me preach here, praise God. But I would have case studies of the provision of God. Two weeks before we got married, I won a home makeover in our 1973 trailer. And it was a gift. And it felt icky. Like, God, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. And yet, God has provided over and over again for me and for you in ways that we don't deserve. It's the blessing of Abraham. You're his child. And it may look different if you were in a third world country somewhere, but yet they still receive blessings from the Lord. They're taken care of in ways that non-Christians are not taken care of. God takes care of his children. John Stott had something really interesting to say about this passage. We're going to finish up here in a second. Here's what he said. By what road do we attain curse? The curse and the blessing. And he uses this language, the blessings and the cursings. And I want you to see this language as we tie this up and put a bow on it. By what roads do we attain the curse and the blessing? The first road is called the law. Those who travel by it are those who rely on works of the law. They are under a curse. Pretty simple, right? Pretty clear? They are under a curse. The second road is called faith. Those who travel by it are men of faith. They inherit the blessing. The first group trust in their own works. The second group, trust in the finished work of Christ. The challenge of this passage is really straightforward. We must renounce the proud folly of supposing that we can establish our own righteousness or make ourselves acceptable to God. Instead, we must come humbly to the cross where Christ bore our curse and cast ourselves entirely upon his mercy. And then, by God's sheer grace, because we are in Christ Jesus by faith. We, we shall receive justification, eternal life, and the indwelling spirit. The blessing of Abraham will be ours. If you rely on the law, here's the deal. Plain and simple, you're cursed. You're cursed. The blessing of Abraham will not be yours. You will not be saved. And you will stand and give an account of all those things that you put on your own back. 
And all those things that you tried to carry, and you will be judged accordingly. Christ will never be yours. But what about faith in Christ? Now hear me say this. We've talked about this multiple times. Faith is not a work. Faith is a gift of God. God causes us to willingly choose him. Try to work that statement out. God causes us to willingly choose him. That's how being born again works. Just like 1 Peter says, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I just read it this week in Bible Reading Challenge. Let me just read it so you can hear it. Say a statement like that sometimes. You think, well, where does that come from? God causes us to willingly choose him. Well, it comes from passages like this, and I can't do two things at once. I'm sorry. My wife knows that very well. I cannot listen and do something at the same time. Any, any other husbands have listening problems? Or any other wives testify that their husbands have listening problems? Okay, first Peter, first Peter, first Peter. Hebrews and the book of James, first and second Peter. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Caused us to be born again. So lest we think the contrast here of cursing and blessing is anything that we can boast about, it was God who caused you to be born again. It wasn't you who caused yourself to be born again. And so we look at faith in Christ, even that faith, we have to just say, God, you've been gracious. You've been kind to me. You have bestowed your mercy upon me. And we look at this. Faith in Christ, the contrast is blessing. Christ takes your curse or judgment on a tree. Cursed be everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ takes your judgment. Faith in Christ means that you are a child of the living God. Like Abraham, God will take care of you. Abraham still had adversary and suffering after his, cause, after his calling, like we said. Yet God provided for him time in and time out, year in and year out. And even gave him wealth and power that were undeserved. And on the scale of eternity, listen to me, just like Abraham, those prosperity preachers, they miss their timing on so much. It's just they, they take eternal promises, the, the inheritance that's ours in Christ Jesus, and they turn it to be self-focused and right now, rather than focused on the glory of God and later. And some of what they say is true. It's just twisted and manipulated. Just like Abraham, those who curse us will be cursed of God. And we, each and every child of God, will have all that Abraham had and more. The blessing of Abraham, with eternity in mind, is pretty massive. In this life, we each have different lots. It's just true. Some in this life, God gives wealth and power now. Influence. And for others, like Lazarus in Luke chapter 12... He didn't receive good things in life, and yet he had the inheritance of eternity. And the rich man, it was by his side, that knew Lazarus' name, remembered Lazarus, remembered Lazarus had, had, had uh, skin boils and was poor and was eating uh, the scraps from the rich, and yet he is in heaven with the Lord. And the rich man in hell and in agony is crying out, please just send Lazarus, still wanting Lazarus to serve him. Give me a drink of water, just one drop. And so each of us have a different lot, and I can't explain all of that. But for every Christian, we have promises that God will bless us, not just in the way he blessed Abraham, but even more, that we will reign with Christ himself. This earth and this cosmos, cosmos is ours in Christ Jesus. And he is training us and building us up. And it's all for God's glory. For the glory of God, he will make your name great. Just like he made Abraham's name great. And it's not for us to flaunt our crowns or our power and to say, look at me. We see in Revelation that the 24 are around the throne of God. Most likely the 12 apostles and the 12 tribe, tribal leaders of Israel around the throne. 
and they take off their crowns before Jesus and they lay them down at his feet and declare how worthy he is. Their rewards given to them by God, they take off and they say, this is about Jesus' glory. And they take their crowns down and lay, lay them at the feet of Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God will bless us eternity with wealth and power to be able to take care of all that he gives us to take care of. This all comes by faith. The blessing of Abraham is really ours. By faith we believe that for God's glory now and forevermore the blessing of God will not escape us but will forever and ever and ever be there for us. They won't end in this lifetime. They will go on forever. What Christ has done for us secures for us an eternity of which this life is just a vapor. The work of Christ ripples and echoes into eternity. And it goes forever and ever and ever. And because, because he was cursed for us, we get to experience this vapor, the joy that comes of being a child of God in this life, this vapor. We get to enjoy this vapor, but we get to walk on into eternity knowing that joy is ours forevermore. That what Abraham had in this life is nothing compared to what each and every one of you will have for the glory of God for eternity. The promises are, it's hard, to, it's hard to wrap our mind around the goodness of God. We didn't deserve any of this. And yet the blessing of Abraham is ours. And for this life, what about this life? How is it that Jesus is not going to leave us or forsake us? How is it can he, that he can say, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, because of this glorious promise? So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham may come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promised spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. We repent and believe by faith, placing faith in Jesus. And then Jesus' title, John the Baptist's favorite title for Jesus, is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. You know, we have this phrase that a lot of times our charismatic brothers and sisters say, uh, they call it the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That language is nowhere in the scriptures. It's baptism, excuse me, baptism of the Holy Spirit is what it's called in, in Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles. That's nowhere in the scriptures. Baptism with the Spirit is in the scriptures. And it's John's favorite title of Jesus. Jesus, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And friends, Jesus has baptized us with the promised Holy Spirit immersed us with the Spirit of God. Through faith in Jesus, Christians have received the Holy Spirit. Now, Dan Malora helped me out with this, about this word received, because it says, in Christ Jesus, or excuse me, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Reception of any of the gifts of God are not because we did something to receive them. When this room here received a coat of paint, the room did nothing. But it received everything. The, the people were in here, you know, JT was up just day in and day out, and Andrea in here painting and, and doing all this work and painting all this room and then painting downstairs. This room did nothing to make it look like this. If you saw it before, there's like 50 holes in the ceiling, okay? It received a coat of paint, received a lot of work, and the room did nothing. And friends, you and I are recipients of the Holy Spirit. We didn't do anything to earn the gifts of God. We didn't do anything to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us freely. We have received the Holy Spirit from Jesus, the great baptizer with the Holy Spirit. When we receive something, it's something that has happened to us. The only other alternative is say that it's something you apprehended. The only other alternative is say, saying, I have some skin in the game. I've done something to earn the Holy Spirit. I've done something to earn the gifts of God. I've done something to earn what God has given me that somebody else didn't earn. And Paul is emphatic through here. No, it's all by God's grace. It's not because you're different than anybody. It's because God has been gracious to you. And he's even given us the Holy Spirit. This is the glory of the post-Pentecost life. It's the glory of the new covenant that we have something even more in this life than Abraham had. We have something that he longed to see. He longed to see the work of Christ. And we have the Old Testament prom promises of the Spirit of God coming to us that was spoken of in the prophets. We have the Spirit of God not just with us like Samson, 
And the Spirit of God would come upon Samson and watch out. The Holy Spirit's not safe. And yet we don't just have the Holy Spirit coming upon us, empowering us to do certain things. We have a promise that the Holy Spirit is within us through faith. We have received the Holy Spirit. Abraham did not receive the Holy Spirit in the way we do. This is a great mystery in, in biblical theology and systematic theology is the practical difference of the Old Testament and the New Testament believer from day to day life when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. God himself working in us, changing us, and pointing us to Jesus. And that's not true of any of the Old Testament saints, but it's true of you. The least in the kingdom of God is greater even than John the Baptist. It's a powerful thing. So let's wrap this up. Hear me say this, everyone out there. Don't rely on works of the law. Just don't. Don't rely on works of the law. Even as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't fall back into relying on works of the law. Just don't do it. Love works of the law. Do works of the law. Do not rely on works of the law. For the non-Christian in the room, you are cursed by God. And the only way for you to escape it's not through the work of your hands. It's not through the work of your heart. It's not through the apprehension of your brain. It's through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. That's it. That's what he commands you to do. Jesus became a curse for actual sinners. And you can always walk out of these doors... You can come back week after week and walk out of these doors and stay cursed. Or you can repent and trust in Jesus by grace through faith. And here's the contrast. Always, so don't rely on works of the law. Always and forever, church at Galatia, church in Carbondale, church around the world. Always and forever rely on the finished work of Jesus. Always and forever tune your heart your spiritual ears, your spiritual eyes to rely on the work of Jesus. It is enough. His grace is enough. Turn to Jesus, look at his finished work, and be blessed forevermore.